It is the Chicago vs. United audio podcast, your Chicago scene salvation, featuring interviews with the premier talent and tastemakers in the Chicago music community. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast every week at chicagoverseunited.com. This week, talking with Matt Priest of Canasta. Here's how that sounds. Haima Black here with Matt Priest from Canasta. We are here in Roscoe Village. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Now that we've eaten, I'm doing extra great. Yeah, man, we started this. I thought we were just going to come here and do the interview, but you talked me into the burger here. And, I mean, we're at Village Tap. That was fantastic, man. Nice work. I like that. Awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, I spend I spend a lot of time here. We have a, Whenever the band's got, you know, administrative stuff that we got to meet about or think we've got to figure out, we always uh, end up over here. Yeah. So this is kind of like Canasta headquarters for business. Outside of the rehearsal space, it kind of is, yeah. I want to talk to you about... You know, a lot of big stuff going on with NASA. You guys are at your 10-year anniversary. We're going to hit all that. But first, let's kind of, like, take a look back. How has the year been for you and, and for Canasta? How has 2012 been for the band? 2012 has been has already been insane. We went to Mongolia. That was in February. And that was uh, originally supposed to happen maybe about four or five months earlier. And they kept pushing it back. And before we knew it, we were going in February. And that's, that's the coldest month of the year in one of the coldest countries on the planet. So... That was kind of how we started off the year, which was absolutely insane. And now this. Uh, we've also, what else did we do? We made a few music videos. We got real lucky and got to work with some really talented people who were sort of, you know, looking to expand their portfolios and stuff and uh, worked with us for a very affordable price. And we got some really amazing videos, the kind of videos you don't really ever expect that you're going to have a chance to, you know, set your music to. And now this 10th anniversary, I mean, the year is, what are we in, May? It's already been a busy, busy year, and I, I gotta be honest. Um, I had a baby this year, and two other members are getting married very shortly. So, although it's been a really busy year, it's probably only been somewhat busy due to Canasta, but also personally, it's been crazy for about half the band. I mean, that's crazy, dude. Uh, just the fact that we're only coming up at the halfway point of the year, and already all that has happened. Like, how do you even look at the rest of the year after that? <laughs> That's a good question. We're planning this. We're doing this show. This is a big deal for us. Um, we're planning to tour in July, play a couple of festivals, and then I think we're going to lay pretty low and just hunker down and get some new stuff recorded and get something out because we're notoriously slow when it comes to releasing records and so forth. And we've got there are three members of the band who weren't in the band last time we did a record, so they are chomping at the bit to be on a record you know what I mean so and, and we're the kind of band that can get easily distracted by shiny objects and cool opportunities cool shows um, going to Mongolia going to Mongolia yeah like you know it's only 10 days so you feel like okay what 10 days you know what is that two rehearsals but the planning for that you know, visas and insurance and just which instruments are we taking and what can they provide over there. I mean, it, it essentially took up all of the band's energy, you know, and drive for a good, like, month and a half, two months. So that was kind of the first, the winter, you know, like, that took up the winter, essentially. But it, it was worth it. I mean, it was unbelievable. You guys are coming up on the 10th anniversary here, which is pretty, I mean, that's that's really huge just to, to think about. Did you ever think that the band would get there? Was this kind of the plan in the early days? Or, I mean, if someone had told you 10 years ago, like, you guys are going to do your anniversary show at the venue where you started it would you have just been like fuck off you're crazy the um you know like a lot of bands when we started it it was 
110% for fun and is a time killer. You know, we had some extra time. Most of us had jobs we weren't serious about. And in the beginning, it was like if you played an instrument that we didn't already have in the band, you could be in the band. That was essentially it. And that's how we kind of end up with the, the, the instrumentation we have. So we definitely started with no goals whatsoever. And, you know, we wrote a song, a couple songs. Kind of couldn't believe we had done that. You know, like, wow, we wrote a song. We were as surprised as anybody to find out that there was an audience for it, um, you know, that we had some talent in that area. And I'm not sure when it happened, but somewhere along the line, once we realized there was some potential, then we got more driven towards trying to make it happen, you know, trying to sort of do this as much as possible, maybe, you know, hopefully funding itself, you know, um, hopefully taking us away from our dead-end jobs a little bit, you know. So somewhere along the line, we got goals. And we got driven to sort of keep it going at all costs. So I'm, I'm not sure when that happened, but once that happened, I did know that it would be around for a while. Once I sort of made it my thing, I was like, this is kind of, this is who I am, and this is the most direct link to what's going on inside my head is, you know, and the best representation of that is this band. But first few years of the band, no. There's no way we would have ever pictured it being around this long. Well, you know, what you just answered kind of feeds into the next question I had for you, which is kind of how has Canasta's approach to being Canasta changed over a decade? Wow. That's a good question. Um, I would say it's kind of, you know, things come kind of full circle. Like in the beginning, as I said, it was sort of, it was serendipitous. It was random. It was like, if you again, if you played an instrument, you could be in the band. If you played something we didn't already have. So the sound of the band just sounded like those people playing music in a room. Eventually, as we sort of, we refined that sound, it became our sound. So then for a few years in the middle, you're sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word, uh, you sort of get used to your sound, you realize its strengths, its weaknesses, and you find yourself playing to them. You find yourself sort of being like, this is kind of what we do, let's put out the best records we can with this sound. So for the middle period of the band, I felt like we were almost in service of the concept of Canasta. You know, in the beginning there was no concept, it was just random, but then eventually it turned into like, you start to get an identity people talking about the band and writing about the band that sort of helps form the identity to some degree. So for a while there, we did that, sort of living up to what we thought Canasta should sound like. Now that we're in this part of our career, I think we're starting to sort of get restless and sort of wanting to buck that and uh, and kind of rediscover that those feelings we had early on, which were sort of scary, sort of uh, every song was an adventure, sort of like, wow, what if we did that, or could we pull that off, or can you really put a violin there, you know, like all the, those kinds of feelings again, where it's sort of uh, full of surprises and, and unknowns, you know, so I think we're kind of trying to get back to that now, which is cool. You know, getting to this 10-year mark, is that almost kind of like a rebirth of a band, or like a reinvention, you know, like you check in, you're like, okay, we got to this point being us, now let's break it and build it up again? I think so. Um, over the course of the band, we've had 19 members, which is just, it was just crazy. That's like Slipknot. That's like Wu-Tang. Right, except, except unlike Slipknot, we don't wear masks, you know, so you can actually tell there's like 19 people. Um, so there are six people in the band now, and there have been 13 other ones. Um, but what's interesting is it's always been really gradual. Like, at almost any given point in the band's history, someone's been phasing out, someone new has been learning the songs kind of coming in. So in the end, it's actually, it's been a lot of work 
behind the scenes, but on the surface, a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't realize you got, I didn't realize the band was half different, you know, like, um, it's been pretty seamless and as far as, like, out in public goes, but just in the past year, year and a half, I guess, we have, we've switched, we've changed half the band, and that's a big change, and I think this... I think that, plus the 10-year mark, plus the fact that some people are getting married, some people are having kids, um, I think for a lot of people it's kind of a turning point and sort of like a reawakening. There's a little bit of a now or never sort of feeling about it, where for a while we would do it, but do it casually, and now it's kind of like, you know, you get busy, you have jobs, you take more seriously, you have families and so forth, and, and, and so the little bit of time you spend on the band, you really want to get a lot out of it. You take it really, really seriously. You know, your time is worth a lot to you, so... Um, I do think we're a little reinvigorated to make something happen and make 2012 and hopefully 2013 like a, you know, kind of a, yeah, a rebirth of the band. And I would love to both surprise some listeners and surprise ourselves, you know, as to what we can sound like and what we're capable of. Kind of looking beyond Canasta the band, just, you know, how has being in a band changed over the last decade, the whole experience? Like, what what is it like to be Canasta in this music industry in 2012 versus 2002? That's a good question. Um, musically, I'm... Musically, I'm not sure if it if it feels a whole lot different. As far as administration stuff, promotions, and that sort of thing, and booking, that stuff has changed a great deal. Like that's the stuff that's the most obvious to me. That's changed a lot. The actual scene in Chicago is still pretty supportive, pretty cool. Um, a lot of bands from a lot of different genres hanging out and playing with and supporting other bands of other genres. Um, doesn't feel as cutthroat as New York or L.A. Not that I've ever had a band in those scenes, but we've certainly visited there, and I know a lot of folks who are in those scenes. Chicago's got a blue-collar sort of aesthetic, and it's it's not a joke. It's real. There's a bit, you know, there's a bit more um, respect, I think, for bands that work hard as opposed to bands that have a cool image or whatever. Although I guess I'm just talking about Chicago. But anyways, I was going to say that, so some of those things have remained pretty constant since we started a band. But as far as how you get your name out there and what you have to do to get people's attention and keep people's attention... You know, we never, musically, we write the songs we want to write. We never write songs that just because we think someone's going to want to hear it. But as far as I'm concerned, once the song is written, I am absolutely fine with doing whatever you got to do to book and promote the man and manage the man and get the word out and advertise and all that stuff. Like, I look at those as pretty separate things, and that's changed a great deal. It's one of those things where I feel like 20 years ago, if you had gone back in time and you told... Um, you told a band, let's say you told The Replacements, in 2012, you'll be able to record something that you played in your rehearsal space, and it sounds good enough to release, and you can actually have it distributed to thousands of fans by midnight of that night. On your phone. On your phone, for a price that you determined with no middleman. You know, if you told that to a musician 20 years, they'd say, are you kidding me? I would be the most What are you on, and musician. where can I buy your drugs? Yeah, and they'd be like, I'd be the most famous, richest musician on the planet. And then you're like, well, but here's the rub. Because it's that much more doable, there are 
26 million bands on MySpace or whatever. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like the competition is unbelievable and people's attention spans are unbelievably short and it's just that much harder to stand out. So it's easier to reach people but that much harder to stand out and that much harder to make an impression and, and make a lasting impression. It's crazy. I never would have seen it going this way. But, but at the end of the day, if you're excited about your music, just sharing it with people and getting a reaction means more than anything. So, like, the fact that we can get music out to people all over the world easily and, and for free if we want, that's an amazing, amazing thing. And, like, you know, there, there, can't, there probably isn't a better time to be alive making music than right now for that, for that reason only, as far as just getting it out to people. You know, it's awesome. Well, you know, you brought up something that was literally also my, my next question, which we've done a couple times in this interview. But, uh, you know, I was going to ask people's attention spans are just insanely short these days. You know, the, the Twitterfication of our culture means that everything has to be so succinct and bite-sized and instantaneous. So I don't think there's a lot of artists who are, and you know, in any genre, who are trying to be artists for a decade or who were able to sustain this for a decade. Like, what do you think has kept you guys able to do this for this long of a period as people's attention spans have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter? That's a good question. Um, and I agree with you and your assessment as far as, you know, listeners and so forth. But to be clear, I do not separate myself from folks like... Um, my attention span is shorter than it was 10 years ago, too. Like, you can't help it. If you're on Facebook and you've got iTunes and friends are sending you zip files with amazing albums in them, you know, like, you can't help but get that way. So I totally get it. I don't... Boy, I'll take a stab at it. I, this is just a hypothesis. I don't really know um, how we've managed to to keep people's interest for this long. But I will say that... Um, Maybe because of the way that we sort of formed the band, which was almost on a whim, just sort of like, hey, we should try starting a band. Like, that would be fun. But a lot of us, a lot of us had played music in symphonic band and orchestra and in, like, high school and in college and stuff. But a lot of us had not been in rock bands. So we weren't lifelong, like, rockers. So when we, um, when we started the band, it really was just sort of like, a, we just sort of fell into it. And I've always been really interested in the idea of demystifying rock and roll or um, or pop, where I'm a big believer in the fact that I feel like you can't, like a show isn't a show until the audience is there. And the record isn't really a record until it gets listened to. Like I know that that argument goes back centuries, like philosophy of art, you know, like if you paint on a canvas and no one ever sees it, is it art? That's sort of thing. I'm not going to determine whether or not it's art or not, but I do think that for my sake, the music, like the circle is complete when people have heard it, when people are there at the show. So I feel like the audience and the listener are almost like equal partners in the music. And we've always been kind of big on that. Like when we play shows, there's definitely no... It's not an us versus them. It's not an us up here on stage. You guys down there will bring the talent. You guys do the listening. It's not that at all. It's like we're all sort of in it together. You know, I know that sounds kind of hippy-dippy up with people, but I really believe that. You know, and people after shows will say stuff like, like, wow, how did you, you know, where'd you learn to sing like that? I wish I could do something cool like that. And people talk to artists and musicians and put them on a pedestal as though they do something others don't do. But I'm a big believer in the fact that, like, if you do 
whatever you do with your life, for a living or raising a family or whatever, if you do it with passion and with creativity and you have your own style and your own way about going about it, like that's art as far as I'm concerned. That is art, especially if other people are benefiting from it or taking something from it. So um, I sort of feel like, you know, we play a show, everyone out there, they're artists in their own way. We just happen to be the ones on stage with the instruments in that moment. And while I would say that that's not a great route to take for becoming rock stars, but it's a pretty great route to take for for mutual respect and sort of like long term, um, long term, uh, like a mutual relationship that lasts a while. Uh, that's my guess. You know, kind of looking at the industry angle for a second. What advice would you give to other artists who are maybe looking to do this long term, or you know, maybe younger artists? Because you know, like I mentioned, I think a lot of artists are not getting the opportunity or they're just not pursuing it for whatever reason doing this kind of thing long term when you guys have so what would you maybe talk tell to like some band at columbia college or maybe some band that's just starting out right now although i i am occasionally a fan of uh conceptual art projects conceptual bands bands where somebody said i want to do this i want to create this and then went out and did it sometimes that can be cool but generally speaking I do think a lot of the best bands sort of stumble onto it. This, this might be obvious, but I guess I would say don't spend too much time pre-calculating what you're going to sound like, what you're going to look like, what your logo is like, that sort of thing, until you sort of found your voice. You know what I mean? And sort of found what it is you sound like. Because, you know, if you're a guitar player and if you approach it in, in a... If you approach it in, in thinking... Well, I'll never be as good as Jimi Hendrix, so why bother playing guitar if I'm not going to play better than Jimi Hendrix? Like, the world already has Jimi Hendrix. What do they need my guitar playing for? And rather than looking at it like that, I think it's really important to sort of realize that what you do or the combination of things that you do or your band does, somehow it, it exists in its own sphere, and it's never been done before. Yeah. You know, like, there are bands that influence us. There are bands that we have things in common with. If you want to call us a chamber pop band, you could say, like, well, when you've got the arcade fire writing chamber pop and being so great at it, what do you need Canasta for? And, like, I get that. How You know, and if a fan wants to think that, that's fine, a listener. But from my standpoint, it's like, you need to find what it is that, that you do that makes your music your own. Um, or what it is about your ensemble or your group that is unique to you guys. And sort of, once you find your voice and you realize your strengths, your weaknesses, and you realize what it is that you do that isn't like anybody else. And there's always something. You just have to look for it. There's always something you do that no one else is doing. You know what I mean? You might not be creating your own genre, but there's like a little something about your music that makes it unique. So you got to find that, hone in on it, um, realize what it is that you do that makes you unique. And once you've sort of found that voice, then you can worry about promoting, creating a logo, getting your website going, all that stuff. Because I do think that stuff is important, too. Like, once in a while, a band is just mind-blowing enough that other people swoop in and, and see dollar signs and want to help with all that stuff and do it for you. But it's pretty rare. And so you got to do that stuff yourself, and that's fine. But get your music going first. Find your sound. Find your voice. And celebrate that, you know? And then I think you'll find that good music or good art of any sort is like equal parts knowing your strengths and playing to them and equal parts pushing yourself into uncomfortable areas, places you're not comfortable, like trying new stuff trying to move beyond what you're good at you know, and like it's an equal balance between those things and um, 
I'm pretty sure you'll you'll come up with something that's successful and you'll hit it you'll strike a nerve with people so find that first then worry about the other stuff but do worry about the other stuff but just not first you know no, absolutely. You know, turning it back to Canasta, and I didn't, I didn't mean to totally veer it outside of you guys, but, you know, I, I thought it was worth exploring some of your insight, you know, having reached a decade, which I think is really impressive. But looking at Canasta, what have been some of the highlights for you, for the band, you know, over this last 10 years? Like, what have been some of the, the best parts of this whole experience? Well, before you started recording, we talked about this a little bit in that... Um, you know, like, you need little motivators. Like, sometimes it's a lot of work, especially if you're doing your own management and booking and all that kind of stuff and, and making your own flyers. Like, it's a lot of work. So you need little um, little catalysts to kind of keep you going and, and re-energize you. And um, we found them in the most the unlikeliest of places. And, like, come, I've been a lifelong music fan. I've been going to shows and buying records forever. So for me... Playing, being a band in the city where I grew up going to shows, it's actually not that hard. We, little things happen for us all the time that are exciting to me. Like the very first time we played Empty Bottle, I couldn't believe it. First time we played Chubas, I couldn't believe it. First time we played Metro, I couldn't believe it. First time we headlined Metro, that was another thing I couldn't believe. First time we got a write-up in The Onion, I couldn't believe it. I was excited. First time we got a write-up in The Reader, I couldn't believe it. And so on and so forth. So there have been little moments like that throughout the entire 10 years. There's no question Mongolia is one of the most memorable. Absolutely. We played a show, I guess it was probably coming up on four years ago, but we played a show for Barack Obama when he was running um, for president. And uh, it was a fundraiser. And in the beginning... We were fans of his early on, so when we first got asked to play for him, it was going to be at the Abbey Pub, and it was going to be us and and a few other local bands, I think the Changes, um, and then he was going to speak at the end. Over can the you even imagine right now? I'm sorry. Can you imagine oh, Barack Obama at the Abbey Pub? The Abbey Pub. And over the next three months, um, his sort of run for the presidency became went from being like, you know, like a pipe dream, like it was not cute, to being like, like a real contender. So they called us two weeks before the show, and they're like, well. As I'm sure you've noticed, the interest has grown a lot. It's a lot more folks looking to come out and spend some money and, you know, for the president, for the soon-to-be president. Let's, um, we were switching venues. I hope you don't mind, but we're going to do this at the Riviera Theater instead, which is a play, I mean, I saw, I saw Alice in Chains there when I was in high school. I saw Pantera there. I saw Living Color. So many, like, I've been going there forever. We're like, are you kidding me? And they're like, yeah. And like, also, um... We're going to have to shorten your set a little bit because you're going to be playing with some other bands. I hope you don't mind, but Wilco is going to be the headliner. <laughs> I hope you don't mind playing a show for Barack said. Obama with Wilco at the Riviera. I hope that's not putting you out. Yeah. You know, and just to add to the nuttiness of it all, Macy Gray played, Third Eye Blind played, Cool Kids played. It was really cool. But um, we got a photo with the president, sorry, with the candidate, got to meet him um, and play for him. And... Uh, you know, hard to top that. Like that was; those were three bucket list type check boxes all in one night. That was unbelievable. Um, first time, I do remember the first time we got a call from our buddies in the Scout Yard Gospel Choir. They wanted us to open for them uh, for their record release at the Metro. I couldn't believe it. I like literally welled up with tears. I was so excited, so excited. I never thought I'd get to do that. 
that was a huge moment. Um, playing the Old Town School folk music, uh, that was a sold-out show. It was seated, and that sort of felt like, I don't know, like sort of like we'd matured into like an adult, like a respected band, you know, that people are willing to like pay good money for and like sit quietly and listen to, like... It's not, it's not what you set out to do when you're a rock band, but, like, as an orchestral pop band like we are, like, that was a big moment, you know? I couldn't believe that happened. That was really cool. But literally, almost every time someone comes up after a show and is like, oh, your record means this to me, or, like, I love this song, or anytime someone writes something nice about us, every time we step into a new venue, all those things are cool moments in their own sort of way, and we get excited, like, all over again. It's it's pretty awesome. We're lucky. I mean, that's, that's quite a record, man, and I, I think you guys have got a lot to be proud of. The 10th anniversary show is happening, you know, Saturday, June 2nd at Shuba's, and kind of like preview what's in store for that performance because I imagine you guys are going to be dipping from maybe your career because I think it's called uh, Ghosts of Canasta's Past so we have, we've got um, we've got six ex-members who are coming to the show to sit in with us and in a lot of cases it's people that wrote the parts um, you know like recorded on the records uh, good friends of mine that I haven't played with in forever that's going to be awesome it's, it's literally by the time we go on at midnight it's going to be ten years to the day that we played at Shuba's, our first performance. Our first performance was actually a Bell and Sebastian tribute night. It was like Reckless Records put it on, they were releasing an album, and it was like, hey, come and show up and play Bell and Sebastian songs. And um, we uh, we played a cover song, a Bell and Sebastian song, and so to hearken back to that, we're going to do a couple of Bell and Sebastian songs at this show. That's a band that we love, and uh, those songs are a blast to play. And uh, we're gonna do a real, <laughs> we're gonna do a real cheesy slideshow. <laughs> like I don't know, like it, almost like when you're in high school or you're in camp or you're in, um, I don't know, or like at the end of the semester, you know, like the band gets together and like a little slideshow, maybe some, uh, like a, you know, some music to accompany it. We're thinking maybe Night Swimming by REM. Yes, I like <laughs> it. We'll all sort of sit uh, cross-legged at the uh, at the lip of the stage, looking up, you know. Crying on each other's shoulders, that sort of thing. This is like a camp reunion. Yeah, it should be really great. Um, the, uh, but yeah, we're going to play stuff from our whole catalog, lots of cover songs. We'll probably play a real long time. We have a, a full horn section playing as well. I think all in all there's 15 people playing Canasta songs this show. And um, the openers of the show are a band called Wooden Rings. And uh, we we played an event that was essentially an open mic, and this guy came up and, and sang a song, and he has a gorgeous voice and writes beautiful songs. And I was like, hey, man, do you have a band? And he's like, yeah, we're just getting started with one. And um, I went and checked them out as a full band a couple months ago, and they're terrific. And this is their record release. They've never played Shubas, but they are the perfect band for Shubas. Um, nylon string guitar, you know, xylophone, banjo, cello, like, it's beautiful. And... Um, they couldn't be more excited to be playing at Chubas. They're perfect for the show. Like, it, it's going to be great. And uh, we're going to play a long time and give people their money's worth. It's going to be cool. And we've got amazing posters to, that we're going to sell there, too. Amazing screen-printed posters by uh, Phineas X. Jones, who does uh, all the artwork for Half Acre and a lot of Lollapalooza artwork. And he's done some murals around town and stuff. And uh, those will be for sale, too. It's going to be one for the ages. And then after that, except for a 
I think one festival appearance or something later in the summer, we're going to lay pretty low and just work on music. So this is a big one. It's a big show. I love it. I think all of that is just such an impressive decade-long run that you guys have had, and it's not ending. I don't mean to make it sound like it's ending. You guys have got you've got all everything in front of you, but Canasta, I think, has really covered some amazing ground, written some some amazing songs, and I'm really happy that you guys have gotten to the 10 year mark. You're able to celebrate like this, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Thanks, man. It means a lot. To, uh, like I said, every time someone listens, every time someone, you know, is like, hey, I want to get the word out about your, like, it means the world to us. So thank you for uh, for checking it out and for saying that stuff. Absolutely, man. Thanks. Cool. Take care. This has been the Chicago First United Audio Podcast, your Chicago scene salvation. Thanks to Matt Priest of Canasta for being on the show this week. You can find past episodes of the Chicago First United Audio Podcast at chicagoverseunited.com, including interviews with Sleeping at Last, Yourself in the Air, Mark Rose, and many, many more. You can follow the Dynasty Podcast Network through all social and digital media channels at dynastypodcast.tumblr.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black, Dynasty Descend.